Welcome back to our study of systematic theology. It's hard to believe, but after this session, we will be a third of the way through. This is session number 20 of 60, and it's been a, been a long journey, a much longer journey to go, but I think it's been very fruitful and helpful. Let's see, last time we looked at the nature of sin. Next time we'll look at the transmission of sin. And so naturally in between those, we're looking at today, original sin. Um, as usual, we're going to do the format where I'm going to read a, uh, what I think is a helpful article to kind of introduce the topic. Um, and then we will pause and watch our video from Dr. Sproul on the subject. And then we'll come back, we'll go through our uh, overview sheet and look at some uh, questions and some discussion. Hopefully will be a good discussion. And then we're going to revisit our confession. We're going to look again at chapter 6 of our confession. I know we looked at it recently, but uh, it's still uh, definitely um, valid to this discussion too. So we're going to re-evaluate re, uh, it, chapter 6, and then uh, we, can, we can discuss that a little bit, and then we'll close. So let me, uh, let me open with this article. So original sin. I should say up front that it is almost impossible to commit an original sin. That's because they've all been done already. To be quite honest, there's a terrible lack of originality when it comes to sin. But that, of course, is not what theologians mean when they talk about, quote-unquote, original sin. What they're referring to is the idea that because the entire human race is descended from one man, a man who rebelled against God, we have all inherited his sinful nature— and his guilt. We are, all of us, to use a biblical phrase, in Adam. A friend of mine was born in Australia simply because one of his ancestors, a lady called Anne Forbes, was deported from England to Australia as a criminal in 1787. Now, my Australian friend hadn't done anything wrong himself, but because of the crime of his ancestor, he is now part of a family that is Australian. He's Australian by birth, and everyone in his extended family owes their existence and their identity to one person, one crime, one exile. So you see, sin isn't just a question of behavior, it's a question of being. It's not just what we do, it's who we are. It's in our DNA. It's our natural state. And despite what your local grocery store might have you believe, natural is not always good. Whether we like it or not, you and I are part of a highly dysfunctional family that stretches all the way back to Adam. We all bear the family likeness, and we're all the black sheep of the family, because there are nothing but black sheep in the family. Sometimes, after one of our less commendable moments, we'll say of ourselves, I really don't know what came over me. That's not who I am. But the reality is that nothing came over you, and it is who you really are. Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. In other words, because of Adam, you and I were born with a serious heart problem. 
And the idea that we can somehow cut sin completely out of our lives is as absurd as the idea that we could somehow cut out our own hearts and still live. I see the clearest evidence of my own heart problem when I'm caught off guard. As C.S. Lewis pointed out, if you really want to discover whether you have rats in the basement, you have to catch them unawares. You can't walk noisily up to the door, make a lot of noise jiggling the doorknob, open the door with a crash, and then clomp slowly down the steps. No, if you really want to know whether you have rats in the basement, you have to silently creep up to the door, open it ever so gently, and then suddenly jump to the bottom of the stairs. Then you'll see the rats scuttling off in all directions. It's when we haven't had time, but on... Excuse me, is when we haven't had time put on a disguise or make ourselves presentable that we see what's really inside us. Let's say a driver cuts in line in front of you, or a customer service representative drops your call after you've been on hold for 30 minutes. That's typically the moment when you see the black gunk in the human heart, as the anger and indignation pour out. Neither the driver nor the customer service representative put the black gunk in there. But, like hands twisting a wet sponge, they merely revealed what was already inside. At these kinds of moments, our emotions can feel out of our control. And that's because sin isn't just something that we do. Sin is something that does us. Scripture says we're enslaved by it. It drives us to feel and to do things we don't want to feel or to do. The Apostle Paul says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not <coughs> do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. It is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. Now, as my Australian friend points out, having been born in Australia because of his ancestor's crime, it would be impossible to get back to England under his own steam. Nobody is that good a swimmer. In the same way, neither can we find our way back to God, having been exiled far from him because of Adam's crime. But that's not how the biblical story ends. Instead, knowing that it is impossible for us to get to him, God in his love comes to us. Jesus Christ comes into the world as the last Adam. Unlike the first Adam, Jesus lived a life that was perfectly without sin, and he did that so that you and I could inherit righteousness from him, just as we inherited unrighteousness from the first Adam. Death entered the world through the first Adam, but eternal life enters the world through the last Adam. Because of that last Adam, you and I can return from exile, be adopted into a new family, take on a new family name, and slowly but surely start to take on a new family likeness. So I hope that's a good uh, introduction to the subject of original sin. It'll get you thinking, wheels turning a little bit. Let's pause now and watch our video, and then we'll continue. All right, was that a helpful video? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think it was. Okay. <laughs> as long as y'all don't say no, no way. Um, let's look at our overview and, and questions, and we'll get into our discussion and our, our uh, confession. All right, introduction to original sin. Original sin deals with the extent and scope of the nature of sin. 
Here we discuss the concept and consequences of the first sin and the controversy surrounding this doctrine. So our overview. The idea that original sin refers to the first sin is a popular misunderstanding. It is a description of what the results of that sin, not that sin itself. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Original sin describes the fallen condition of the human race. To quote Jonathan Edwards, If the Bible did not tell us that there is a problem with our moral disposition by nature, we would have to affirm it on the basis of rational observation because of the pervasive presence of evil in the world of human beings. Even pagans will say that, quote-unquote, nobody is perfect. If perfection were possible, wouldn't you expect more people to, to attain and maintain it? Original sin is a judgment of God upon rational creatures. The classic study of this doctrine was done by St. Augustine and was the center of the Pelagian controversy of the 4th century. God made man able to sin, posse peccare. Humans had the power to sin, and we know that because they sinned. But they also were created with the ability not to sin, posse non peccare. They had the moral ability to obey God. In the fall, mankind lost the ability not to sin and received the inability to not sin, non posse non peccare. This doesn't mean that man cannot do anything to obey the commandments in an outward manner, but he cannot keep them rightly. Christians are also subject to this rule. All people are unable to obey God rightly and completely. Amoral things, which we often refer to as quote-unquote mistakes, are often rooted in moral matters. We would not make so many errors if we loved God with our minds. In John 6.44, Jesus said that people cannot do the good work of coming to God without the enabling of God. The effectual calling of God is absolutely necessary because of the doctrine of original sin. Many disagree and claim there is an island of righteousness in every man. But this view is not biblical. Uh, see Romans 3.10-11. We were made in the image of God, but we lost that image in the narrow sense in the fall, yet retained it in the broad sense. The perfections granted to us were lost, but <clears throat> the many other similarities God granted us remain. Let's just pause one quick second. So I quoted two verses here. Let's look at uh, John 6.44 and what Jesus says exactly uh, about the effectual calling of God. Um, somebody want to look up John 6.44? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Okay, no one can come unless the Father draws him. Okay, and then we also looked at um, the idea of this island of righteousness and every man not being biblical, and we looked at Romans 3, 10, and 11. Someone have Romans 3, 10, and 11? As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Not one. No one is righteous. 
Okay, questions and answers. Uh, where do we learn of original sin? <laughs> Everywhere. Everywhere. Not just in the Word, but in creation itself. So we could say both books of Revelation, right? In creation and in the Word. Does original sin refer to that first sin committed by Adam and Eve? No. No. What does it? It refers to the consequences of that first sin. So what does non pose non pecare mean? Sorry, there's a typo there. I should say mean. Um, not able not to sin. Correct. Not able not to sin. What is the inability not to sin called in theology? A moral inability. What is civil virtue or civic virtue, if you prefer? Obeying the law externally. Right, obeying the law externally, and I put a note here, but lacking the desire to obey out of love for God. We find many other reasons to obey, but that's just an external obedience. What doctrine is absolutely necessary because of original sin? Effectual calling. And we got another biblical reference here, Romans 8, 29 through 31. Can someone look that up? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Um, and, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Um, and what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Mm. It's funny how often the end of that is quoted, but not the mm -hmm. <laughs> preceding. <laughs> yes, he called. Exactly. All right, so let's look at our uh, discussion questions. Are we sinners because we sin, or do we sin because we are sinners? Explain the important importance of the difference. We sin because we are sinners. And why is that an important distinction? It's important because if we were sinners because we sin, then that would imply that we have the ability not to sin. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't get to our nature, right? Correct. Right. And what's interesting about that <laughs> is when can we say that is not true? Pre-fall, right? right? That's the only time we could say it's the other way around. <laughs> Ever since the fall, we sin because we're sinners. What does original sin describe? The effects of, um, the effects of the first sin. So how that um, is the original sin. So we we have that. Yeah, we all have that. Right, the fallen condition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the consequences of the first sin. Um, at least first sin in human nature. Um, what was the early controversy that brought the issue of original sin to center stage? That's the Pelagian thing, right? Yes. Pelagian controversy. And what, what explain what was the Pelagian controversy about? That is uh, that is where that's what that's what D was saying. Um, that uh, uh, the Pelagian sin is the Pelagian controversy was where that was um, that you can that you have to first turn 
um, to God that you're not. It it doesn't have to do with election. That you have to like say this is a good thing before anything <laughs> happens. And, and and that's rooted in the idea that we are born morally neutral or good, but not corrupt, right? Okay, how did Augustine describe the state of man before and after the fall? So about before the fall. That's the po- that's the posse stuff, right? Right. Right. So God saved man, able to sin. Who said it? Misty. <laughs> Who said it? Oh. <laughs> I said it right. Posse. So yeah. So basically, before the fall, man, in this case, Adam and Eve, right? They, uh, they had the ability to sin or not sin. They had the ability to do either one. And that, and that was their, their free will when it came to sin. So when it says that humans have the power of sin, we know that because they sin. We know they had the power because they did it. And they can't do something impossible. Um, but now, how did he describe the state of man after the fall? That's the plus the passing on Picari. Or they have they have the more ability to that's confusing. Okay, but they were created It's a double negative, so we don't have the ability to not sin. Not sinning is not an option for us anymore. Okay, but they're saying we we still have the moral ability to obey God? No, that was free fall. So the ability to not sin was just taken away. That right. that was where you right were, exactly the ability to not sin is mm-hmm. wiped out. With the oh, fall. I'm on the wrong paragraph. <laughs> Sorry, the next one. Okay. The next sentence. All right. So fall man came lost the ability not to sin, received the ability not to sin. So what does that say? I'm I'm getting off a little bit of a tangent. I didn't write it down here, but what does that say to to those who believe perfection can be obtained in this life? Thank you. Good luck. Yeah. 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 The next one says, It doesn't mean that man cannot do anything to obey the commandments in the outward manner, but he Mm -hmm. cannot keep them rightly. So if we cannot keep them rightly, then we cannot obtain perfection in this life. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's a, what what is it called? An an over-realized eschatology is what they call it. Basically, it's looking at the glorification of man and bringing it in early to this life. And saying we can achieve that that sinless state of perfection in this life, rather than in our glorification later on. Uh, so they call it an overrealized eschatology, and that's an it's an error. It's a heresy. All right. Last question: What does John six forty four teach about man's ability to come to God? And we read six forty four. Who read that? I think Misty read that. Do you want to read it one more time? Do you have it open still? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Okay, so what does that teach us about man's ability to come to God? Not one. (laughs) That it's not existent, right? (laughs) Right, must be called. Okay, uh, let's revisit now our chapter of the Confession dealing... Uh, with original sin, and it, it's not a chapter specifically, it's not entitled of original sin. 
but it's all throughout here because it talks about nat- the nature of sin and the transmission of sin as well. But um, let's let's uh, go back through it so we can see how original sin uh, shows itself in this chapter of our confession. So chapter 6, of the fall of man, of sin, and of the punishment thereof. Paragraph 1. Although God created man upright and perfect and gave him a righteous law, which had been unto life had he kept it, and threatened death upon the breach thereof, yet he did not long abide in this honor. Satan, using the subtlety of the serpent to seduce Eve, then by her seducing Adam, who, without any compulsion, did willfully transgress the law of their creation and the command given unto them in eating the forbidden fruit, which God was pleased, according to his wise and holy counsel, to permit, having purpose to order it to his own glory. All right, so now we've described um, the, the act of that first sin. Paragraph 2. Our first parents, by this sin, fell from their original righteousness in communion with God, and we in them, whereby death came upon all, all becoming dead in sin and wholly defiled in all the faculties and parts of soul and body. So paragraph two, we can really see the concept of original sin here. Do you guys see it there? Paragraph three, they being the root and by God's appointment, standing in the room instead of all mankind, the guilt of the sin was imputed and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity, descending from them by ordinary generation, being now conceived in sin, and by nature children of wrath, the servants of sin, the subjects of death, and all other miseries, spiritual, temporal, and eternal, unless the Lord Jesus set them free. Again, see original sin right there. And we also see the idea that we have to be called unless the Lord Jesus set them free. Paragraph 4. From this original corruption, whereby we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good, and wholly inclined to all evil, do proceed all actual transgressions. So we were having a kind of a discussion before we started here about uh, total depravity, but you can kind of see it here. Wholly inclined to all evil. And then finally, paragraph 5, the corruption of nature during this life does remain in those who are regenerated. And although it be through Christ pardoned and mortified, yet both itself and the first motions thereof are truly and properly sin. So we see even the redeemed, even true Christians, are still struggling with their sin nature and will continue to do so until glorification. So any, any thoughts or, or questions on that chapter 6? Is it pretty clear? I think it's stated pre- pretty clearly myself. Even in the older language, it's pretty easy to understand it. Mm-hmm. Okay, any uh, final thoughts on original sin? Was this helpful to, the, to look at? Um, does this help us in our thinking as we talk to friends and neighbors and family members, uh, both believers and non-believers alike? I, I think in our, I think in our society in general, um, I, I would not, um, I was correct. I was corrected. It was 
like five years ago now where it was like, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't lose my temper or I was patient and, and, you know, the pastor I was under at that time said, good, the Lord's working in you. Cause that wasn't you, that, that was, you know, any, any, any positive thing, even, even the stuff where it was talking, um, where it was talking about, uh, the, the good things, the good things, the good works that come out of a person that's, you know, through, through common grace, through, mm -hmm. you know, through God's common grace and through the working of the Holy Spirit in you, if you're mm -hmm. a believer, it's, it has nothing to do with you. And when, you know, I see all the time on, on like Instagram or Facebook where people now are doing these they're sitting their kids in front of a mirror and doing these affirmations like I am good. I am smart. I am, you know, all, I am enough. And the, and they have their child recite that in the mirror to themselves every morning while they're getting ready to like build them up. And it's like, you're, it, it, it's not that. <laughs> it's not that. Convincing themselves of a lie. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's, that's what, that's what's out there right now Right. for the next generation and our schools, voters, all kinds of, you know, it, it's, it, I mean, cause even, even people in, even people in the church, even people, like you said, even believers, it, it's, it, it, like my sister-in-law is going that, going through that right now. Cause she grew up in a home that wasn't, that wasn't like, like they went to a feel good church. Like she, she went to like a seeker sensitive church growing up and, and it, it's, it, it, even within the church, it's that you want that feel good music has to be right. The things it's, it's not. Yeah. It's, and, and it's interesting. It's like, you know, I said in the video, um, Talking about these the seekers, Who, who's that describing? Because according mm -hmm. to the Bible, nobody naturally seeks out God. <laughs> so they may be seeking something, but they're not seeking God. Mm -hmm. so I think that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, my grandmother, who, you know, she, she loved her son even though he was sinning and continued to love him and, you know, show Christ's love to him. And I said, Grandma, I admire you so much for, you know, and she said, not me. Hmm. You know, yeah. Not me. The Lord. Hmm. But I think it, it all kind of goes to the rebellious heart, right? Because we, we so often see it's not enough for um, people to, to kind of waller in their, their sinfulness and say, you must accept it. You must celebrate it. Mm hmm because they need to feel good about it because they know deep down what they're doing is wrong so they need affirmation from more and more people to try to repress the truth and so it's never enough just to tolerate it we have to celebrate it um, but that all goes to the rebellious heart any other thoughts All right, well, let's, uh, let's close up in prayer.
Father and our God, we do thank you uh, that you give us the opportunity to meet together and study your word and study um, aspects of your word in particular. Uh, we thank you that uh, your word is, is not uh, confusion. You are not the author of confusion, uh, but that our, our misunderstanding is, is due to our own sin, uh, our own uh, bias and our own glasses we put on when we read your word, Lord. We we pray that you, uh, through the Spirit, would, would slowly uh, pull that back so that we may more clearly understand your word, that we may be filled uh, with a desire through the Spirit to, to study your word and know you better, Lord, because we, we admit that in our own natural state, uh, our desire is sinful. Our desire is to rebel and run from you, Lord. So we, we just pray that you would uh, you would chase after us, Lord, and that you would pull us close even as we, we struggle to get away um, in the bonds of, of our sinfulness. And we praise you for uh, Jesus Christ, who has ultimately set us free from our sin. And uh, we look to our great hope, Christ, and, and we thank you uh, that you loved us so much that you did give us a remediator, um, a redeemer uh, to to bridge the gap between a totally depraved uh, man and a holy, completely holy and righteous God. And we pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.